Shalom, and welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly Torah commentary series. I'm Ben Volman from Kehillat Eitzheim, Toronto. This week, we're discussing Parashat Vayishlach. Our text begins in Genesis 32, verse 4. Why are there always angels around Yaakov? And why, at the climax of his spiritual journey, is the angel not an angel? Few of us have ever been aware of encountering the Malachim, those divine servants and agents of God who surround his throne and do his bidding. But others, believers like Yaakov, Jacob, seem to experience them everywhere. From the day he leaves the tents of his father to his last days, laying hands of blessing on the sons of Yosef, he can testify, the God who has been my own shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has rescued me from all harm, Bless these boys. Genesis 48, verses 15 to 16. Even when he draws near to Canaan, after 20 years of absence, Yaakov is greeted by angels. And this is after the angel of God guided him to success while overseeing his uncle's flocks and herds. Genesis 31, 11 and following. Despite their help, Yaakov always saw his life as a painful journey. As he would later tell Pharaoh, his years had been few and hard. See Genesis 47, verse 9. In his youth, Yaakov's quieter nature cast him in the shadow of an older brother, Asaph, the brawny hunter who was his father's favorite. After years of being the second-rate son, Yaakov had finally bested Asaph, deceiving his father to take his brother's blessing. Then, while Asaph plotted his murder, Yaakov fled to Haran, only to find himself laboring for a covetous uncle. Finally, he was compelled to answer God's call and return home. See Genesis 31, 3 and following. This new life must begin by facing his brother. The Chinese people have a saying, When you bow, bow low. Yaakov's message to Asab struck that humble note. Your servant Yaakov says, I've been living with Levan and have stayed until now. I have cattle, donkeys, and flocks, male and female servants. I'm sending to tell this news to my Lord in order to win your favor. See Genesis 32, verses 4 to 6. In other words, I've been a hired worker and have returned with what I earned as a sojourner in a distant land. There's no mention of his extensive family. Yaakov's message could be seen as a deception, minimizing his success. But in another way, it reveals Yaakov's inner doubts. How will Esav measure him now? What does he have that's worthy of his promised legacy or the stolen blessing? He's little more than a wandering Aramean. See Deuteronomy 26, verse 5. Esav's answer arrives, and it's chilling. He is coming to meet you with him, our 400 men. Genesis 32, verse 7. From that moment, Yaakov's fear and anxiety drive his actions, including the division of his family into two camps so that even if the worst happens, some may flee to safety. He has a final beseeching prayer, throwing himself on God's mercy. Adonai, I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servant since I crossed the Yarden with only my staff. Please 
rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him, afraid he'll come and attack me. Without regard for mothers or children, you said, I will certainly do you good. Genesis 32, verses 10 to 13. As Yaakov prepares to meet his brother, we sense his mixed feelings about himself, his life, and even his uncertain relationship with God. It is all rushing toward this compelling climax as he prepares to cross at the fords of the Yabok. Then, after sending over everyone else, his path is blocked by a stranger, simply described once with a single word, Ish. In the CJB, it's translated as some man, though for Yaakov, this stranger is anything but a man. This divine being is, however, like no angel he has ever met before. The angels in his past had comforted, guided, advised, and inspired him. They had nurtured the chosen son of Yitzhak and Rivka when he was cast into the world from the only world he'd ever really known and had barely any reason to believe in his own worth. The blessing he held might have been taken in deceit, but the legacy of God's blessing to Avraham now rested on him. The angels understood his significance in the larger story, even if he could not. But this is no such angel. This one dares to stand in his way and must be fought. Yaakov is strong from his work in the fields, but the stranger can't be thrown. We're reminded of the twin boys fighting in Rivka's womb. Yaakov and the stranger battle all night to a draw until the challenger wrenches Yaakov's hip at the socket inflicting terrible pain. Still, Yaakov refuses to release his grip. When I was younger, I saw the stranger as an adversary, but I no longer see him this way. There is an aspect of rebirth here. Yaakov is facing neither his nemesis nor an enemy. He's wrestling for his life, but this opponent will not destroy him. He's come to force Yaakov to confront himself. He cannot go any further without believing that he's worthy of his birthright. And so Yaakov demands from him what he's never authentically received from his father. I won't let you go until you bless me. Hearing Yaakov's name, the man tells him that he is no longer Yaakov, supplanter. He is now Israel because you have shown your strength to both God and men and have prevailed. Genesis 32, verse 29. The stranger refuses to tell his own name, but gives the blessing as demanded. Because this man enigmatically refuses to tell his name, and yet Yaakov believes that he has wrestled face to face with God, yet my life was spared, and because he calls the place Peniel, the face of God, there are many who believe that this man is Yeshua. At last, though, Yaakov can finally lay claim to his own unique spiritual identity, worthy of his legacy. Rabbinic tradition has identified the supernatural figure in various ways, including Esav's guardian angel, with Yaakov's success against him as a warning against the attacks of future enemies on Israel and his descendants. See Genesis Rabbah 77.3. But this is a very different victory. The triumph is in Yaakov's heart. 
in his remarkable book on maturing into the second half of life. The book is called Falling Upward by Father Richard War. He points out a unifying event in all truly heroic journeys. There is always a wounding, and the great epiphany is that the wound becomes the secret key, even sacred, a wound that changes them dramatically. In the chapter's final scene, we have one of the great images in all literature, Yaakov limping past Peniel, broken but blessed under the waking dawn. The blessing and his brokenness will both free and empower him. Rabbi Tzalman Shachter Shalomi and R.S. Miller explain in their book, From Aging to Saging, that each of us, having come into new potential in the second half of life, will find greater meaning as a mentor, a teacher, a spiritual leader, and a bridge builder to the future. As he enters the land of promise, Israel's higher purpose will not be attached to what he acquires, though God has blessings yet to fulfill. But as the bearer of an authentic blessing, he can now freely give as he's received. Indeed, through him, the legacy of the patriarchal blessings, nurtured by God through angels, and a man who came to wrestle with Israel by night, will go on. This is Ben Volman signing off and wishing you Shabbat Shalom. For more commentaries like this one, visit umjc.org slash commentaries.